awesome. As I, as I said last week, one, one point is one point, guys. One point is one point. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't quite know what God's been doing in this nation. I mean, I, I know He's been instilling hope in us, certainly, and a sense of victory. But heck, the stress. Three matches. Three matches that just. I don't know. My I've had more adrenaline in my in my body in these last uh, this last month than I think I've ever had in my whole life. So well done. Well done, South Africa. God surely loves us. I know he also loves New Zealand, but heck, he loves us. (laughs) Lord Jesus, as as we break open your word today, we want to, Lord God, we want to know you. Lord God, it's not enough that we know about you. We want to know you. We want the reality of who you are embedded deep in our souls. Lord God, we want to to feel you on a daily basis. We want to know you're with us. Holy Spirit, we want to experience you. We want to walk with you. We want to know your word and we want to have it on our lips. Uh, We want it in in our minds and in our understanding. Holy Spirit, come today and speak to us. Speak to us because you love us, Lord God. Speak to us because you love the world, Lord God. Father God, make a difference. Because we came to church today, would the world be different, Lord God? We ask for that, Lord. Make a difference. Change us. Change the world. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. So, today is called Passion and Pain. You have been reading... The book of Acts, and you are now reading chapter, you this last week you read chapters 21 through 24. We're speeding up a little bit um, at the end of the book of Acts. So you read about uh, Paul beginning his journey back to Jerusalem and, and so on. I'm not going to give away my sermon in the intro, but you read it. It was, it was amazing, it was eye-opening, and we're going to talk about that today. So what is the most radical thing you have ever done for Jesus? Andrew's thinking of a long list right here in the front. But what is the the most radical thing you've ever done for Jesus? I have some friends who have done some radical things. I have a good friend who gave up a career in medicine. And she gave it up in order to be in full-time ministry and to lead the campuses of South Africa to Jesus. I know that's pretty awesome. I have another good friend. His name is Dorian. He's actually one of the board members of Every Nation Joburg. And do you know that he he has started a business plan for bringing renewable energy to the average village of... Africa, and his business plan involves this. How can I make the least profit possible so that people can get this product for as cheap as is possible so that Africa can have not only the power of electricity, but Africa can have the power of Jesus. I know some fabulous people. I know you do too. Here are two men who have done some radical things for Jesus. 
David Nitschmann and Johann Leonard Dober, who lived in the 1700s, they, were, they belonged to a movement called the Moravian Church who had started a prayer movement in Eastern Europe and were dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they began, they were the first movement to send out missionaries into, into countries around the world, well, after, after Paul was doing it. <laughs> but they, um, they wanted to go to the West Indies to bring the gospel to the, the slaves on the plantations in the West Indies. No one would give them passage on their ships to the West Indies. They didn't think it was a, a viable job for two young men. So they determined that they would sell themselves into slavery in order to get there. They got to the West Indies and they began evangelizing the slaves around them. They had some trades, so they plied their trades as they were there. And some other paved the way for other Moravian missionaries to get there. Do you know that they baptized 13,000 converts in the West Indies before any other missionaries got there. I think that's pretty impressive. Here we have a man by the name of Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman, both devout believers in Jesus. And they gave their lives to smuggle slaves out of Southern America into the northern free, sta free states, not free states, the f states that were free, <laughs> smuggled them out there, gave their lives to see them not only be free physically, but free in their souls, to know the, the creator of the earth. Phenomenal, incredible people. We've been studying in the last chapters of Acts the Apostle Paul, who gave his life to see humanity free from the slavery of sin. And we are going to look now at him in chapter 21. However, I, I need to preface it with a little bit of school talk. Are you all okay with that? So, this is Paul's third missionary journey. And we had him, look, I've even got a pointer. Look at this, guys. Would someone please take a picture because you're probably not going to see this very often. We, we left him last week in Ephesus. Do you remember the phenomenal things that were going on there? From there, he leaves and he, he was pretty much kicked out of the city. He travels through Macedonia um, into Achaia. And then what he's basically doing is he's collecting money for the church. He's also evangelizing, but he's also collecting money for the church in Jerusalem that has experienced an extreme famine. Remember Agabus way back when prophesying that there was going to be a famine in Jerusalem? And they, he was collecting money from the various churches to get back. So then now he starts, he starts rushing. We hear him using kind of like urgency talk. He's getting back here. He's trying to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. He comes back here and he spent all that time with the Ephesians. He knows he can't pass them by just by, you know, just ignoring them. So he goes to a beach in the place called Miletus and he asks the Ephesians to come there, the Ephesian elders, so he can say goodbye to them. Has a little speech with them, which we're going to read in a moment. And then carries on his... 
he's kind of rushing now. He's just not stopping many places because he wants to get to Jerusalem. He stops off in Tyre, Ptolemaeus. We catch him also here in the, in the stories in Caesarea. He meets Agabus again there and then in Jerusalem. So he's, he's on the way back to Jerusalem with a lot of money and a passion in his soul. And we hear him while he's in Miletus speaking to the, the Ephesian elders. He says there, and now compelled by the Spirit. Maybe he's on the beach saying goodbye to them. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit once warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. This is the same Paul that when he got stoned and beaten, he went right back into the city. You know, this is, this is Paul. He carries on and he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. It's drama, but it's real drama. Moving right on, he carries on and he arrives in, in Caesarea. And it says there, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. How many of you want to be led by Jesus? We all want it, but this is it, guys. This is Paul being led by Jesus from right back there when he was coming out of Achaia. He's, he's thinking in his mind. He's hearing from the Lord this bad stuff coming. But I still want you to go. I need you to go, but I'm just warning you some bad stuff's coming. Two things I note out of this. The first is that God is not a gossip. What I mean by this is that when Agabus the prophet comes to him and tells him that he's actually going to prison when he gets to Jerusalem, when Agabus comes to tell him this, Paul already knows. You see, when Holy Spirit leads you and he speaks through another person, he's not a gossip. He's never going to tell somebody else something about you that he won't tell you directly. And that's why every time we receive prophetic direction, we, we receive it in light of the full picture of what God has spoken to us. Because that's how God is. He's intimately involved in each of our lives and he, he wants to lead us personally and he use, uses prophetic words to confirm that. The next thing I note is that sometimes the goodness of God doesn't look like soft beds and fine dining. Did you notice that? Sometimes the goodness of God looks like a hard floor and a dry piece of toast. Because you see, we learn later in Acts 23, that God had another plan. He was getting Paul. Paul was going to Jerusalem, but God was getting Paul to Rome. 
Do you remember that? You read it in one of the chapters. Maybe you didn't get that far, but there it is, 23 verse 11. God was taking Paul's journey and he was extending it to Rome. And this was his way of getting Paul to Rome. Because you see, God was not just interested in one nation finding about Jesus. He was interested in the whole world. He was interested in you. He was interested in bringing down an empire that had paraded itself against his glory and bringing it into submission to Jesus Christ. He needed Paul in Rome to declare the gospel to the the gods that were going to look after him, to the, the people of Rome so that the seeds of the gospel would penetrate that empire and eventually it would bow its knee to Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes the goodness of God looks like a hard bed and a piece of dry toast because God is getting you to Rome. Because there's a bigger picture at play. And you are part of this giant victory that God is winning across the globe. Sometimes the goodness of God doesn't look like a soft bed and fine dining. Sometimes it looks like a hard floor and a dry piece of toast. You see, to follow Christ is to embrace the cross. This is both crisis and comfort. It's crisis because we have a view of the brilliant things that God is going to do for us. And I know he is going to do brilliant things for you. Absolutely brilliant things. But it it becomes a crisis when suddenly you're in prison. Or you're not getting the promotion that you wanted. Or you're you persecuted in your workspace. Or, you know, there's, there's problems in the family. And all the good things that you were expecting from Jesus are not immediately obvious right in front of you. And it becomes a crisis to our faith. And, and we are tempted to say, oh, God's not real. But I'm here telling you that God's getting you to Rome. There's a bigger picture. Take your eyes off the immediate, just as we heard in that fantastic prophetic word. Stand next to the giant tree and notice that God has a bigger picture. That he's after something and you're a part of it. You see, it can be crisis. It can also be comfort. Because when we follow Jesus to the cross, the thing we have to note is that there's a resurrection at the end. You see, that's why we can embrace Jesus with our whole hearts. That's why we can embrace the cross with our whole hearts, because there's always a resurrection. God made it so clear that after the cross, there is always a resurrection. To follow Christ is to embrace the cross. This is both crisis and comfort. The story continues When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, they gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. You see, Paul had made a decision a long time before this. Paul had made a decision a long time before this. How do we know? Because in Galatians, he makes the statement. He says, Galatians, he wrote a long time before this part of the book of Acts. He, he said this in Galatians. He said, 
I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, so many years prior to this, so many years prior to this, Paul had already made a decision that to serve Jesus was to die. To serve Jesus was to die. How happy are you feeling right now? But you know, we can be caught up in a gospel that tells you, tells you how fantastic God is. And yes, he is. But the bottom line is the beauty of who God means to be, means to, be to you, the, the wonder of what he means to bring to you can only happen when we die. Later, he would say in Philippians, he would say this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I know it's intense. But you see, Paul was after something. What would it feel like if the resurrection life of Jesus Christ was pounding through your body? What would it feel like if the resurrection life of Jesus Christ was filling your mind? What would it be, would be, would it be like to live in the power of Jesus on an everyday basis? What would that be like? Paul said, I will do whatever it takes to have that. I will do whatever it takes to have that. And what it takes is the fellowship of his sufferings. What it takes is I have been crucified with Christ. Do you know what happened when you were baptized? You stood in that water and you said, I am now dying with Christ. I'm going under the water to be resurrected in newness of life. That was your statement with Paul that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah. I have been crucified with Christ. Resurrection life necessitates that we choose Jesus in his death, not just in his resurrection. You see, to follow Jesus means to follow him to the cross through the cross to the resurrection on the other side. You see, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, passion and pain are unavoidably linked. You don't get one without the other. Every one of you have had a first love other than Jesus. You know, you had that, that one person that just, I hope you married to them now, but... If not, don't worry, something brilliant is coming. But you, you all had that moment when you had that, that first love. 
and heck that was. You know, it was like stars everywhere. Um, just music played constantly in your mind. It was, it was ama amazing. And what you wouldn't have done for that person. Do you remember that? Do you remember what you wouldn't have done? I mean, there was nothing you wouldn't have done for that person. Andrew even took my car and fixed my car. You remember my lime green beetle that I had at university? When, when he got me, he got the car. <laughs> Passion and pain are unavoidably linked. But there is a place where to love means to open your heart. To love means to make yourself vulnerable to another person. To be passionate about Jesus means to open your heart to him so that you feel not only his joy, but you feel his pain. So what that means is that when, when, you, when you find Jesus, you can no longer look at the poverty around you with a dispassionate heart. It means once you've found Jesus, you can no, look at a, no longer look at a broken life and feel nothing. It means that once you know Jesus, your heart is unavoidably bound to his mission. You see, passion and pain are unavoidably linked in the kingdom of God. And Paul knew this. He knew that, heck, there's hard things coming, but I made a decision when I first chose Christ, and that decision was I would never pull my heart away from his. And if he is going after the people in Rome, I'm going after them too. If he's going after the lost and broken, I'm going after them too. If he's going into the dungeons and the hard places, I'm going in there too. If he's going after, after the broken and the, the destitute, I'm going after them too. You see, at that moment, he put his heart against Jesus and his decision was, I'm keeping it there. That's my commitment. Passion and pain are unavoidably linked. The story continues, and I've got the right place now. Now we are absolutely in Jerusalem. We are absolutely in Jerusalem. And Paul arrives in Jerusalem. He delivers the money to the apostles that are there. I'm sure they're overjoyed. But he also begins to tell them about the Gentiles that have been converted. <clears throat> and they are they are overjoyed and excited, and it's a celebration. And then they turn to him and they say this. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do you remember how the story continues? The story continues that he eventually goes, he, he um, makes, makes him, purifies himself in the temple. And while he's in the temple, these same Jews grab hold of him, angry, and because they think he's brought a Gentile into the temple, which he hasn't done, and they begin to beat him to kill him. It says, you know, Agabus says they would hand him over to the Gentiles, but it's actually the Gentiles that come in and rescue him from the Jews killing him. Pluck him out of there to try and find out what is going on. The Romans come in and the commander comes and takes him away and imprisons him to try and find out what is happening. 
Now, I want you to note something. Thousands of Jews are getting saved in Jerusalem. Great celebration. But these thousands of Jews that want to kill Paul are Christians. Do you see this? They become believers. They've become believers, but they want to kill someone who is bringing that same gospel that has changed them. They want to kill this person who's bringing that gospel to a people that they don't really think need the gospel. It says there that they are zealous or passionate for the law. You see, passion for Jesus is fantastic, but passion in itself can sometimes be misplaced. These people had grown up with the law of Moses that had been given to their people 2,000 years ago. It was a good law. It was an amazing law. It had kept them together. It had preserved them. It had allowed them to know God. In fact, the Jewish nation, even now, the Jewish people are some of the most successful in the world because of the principles of that law that are embedded in the way they think and the way they run their culture. It was a good law. It wasn't a bad law. It was a good thing. What they didn't know, however, or didn't realize it was that very law that pointed to Jesus. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law and he superseded the law. So here the, the problem is that they have a misplaced passion. They are passionate for something that is not Jesus. They call themselves Christian, but they are passionate for something that is not Jesus. And you see, we can have many great passions, many great loves. But if they ever, ever stand above Jesus, they will destroy us or they will make us destroy the very thing that is life itself around us. You see, it's not wrong to love things. It's just wrong to love them more than Jesus. When Jesus is in charge, when Jesus is Lord, everything rests. Everything comes into its right place. You see, they had misplaced passion. Sometimes we don't know that we have misplaced passion. Until God prods a little bit. And I ask myself this, what would I have done if New Zealand won? I mean, I know that's a minute thing. People who don't love like rugby are looking at me like, what is your problem? <laughs> misplaced passion. But we can easily have misplaced passions. And the bottom line is that Jesus must be Lord of every love. Otherwise, we end up wo working against the very God we claim to serve. You see, the other thing about these Jews that had come to know Jesus is that this law had beautifully formed their culture. It wasn't, I mean, they, they had a, an absolutely amazing culture. It wasn't, it wasn't something to be just thrown away easily. They had grown up steeped in this culture from birth. It was all they really knew. 
And so it was very easy to remain comfortable in it and to assume that the thing that feels right to me must be right for everyone. You see, sometimes we can have comfortable passions. We can have passions for things that just feel good because they've always been like that. But part of what Jesus does, does is he's the great disruptor. He comes to disrupt the things that are just keeping us static and not moving with him because Jesus is moving across the earth. He comes to separate you from those things that have kept you smaller than you need to be. And absolutely every single one of us, every single one of us, as we come to know Jesus, we'll find him taking us out of comfortableness into the place of intimacy with him, into things that are unfamiliar, things that we don't know, things that we have not been prepared for, that, that our hearts haven't conceived. There will be something new for everyone. And the temptation will be to hold on to the old, because I like it, I know it, it makes me feel good, it provides for me my identity. But there must be a place in which we let go of that to the highest passion of all, that is Jesus. Let him take you where he needs to go. So obviously the, the best passion then is something I call open-eyed passion. That is the passion that's seen Jesus. The passion that, that has looked up and seen the glory of Christ and said, yes, that will be my first and foremost passion. I, I am overcome with the beauty and the glory and the majesty of who he is. I will follow him to the ends of the earth. I will follow him into my business. I will follow him into my family. I will do the things he, he does. I will let go of the things he's letting go. I will follow him so that his mission is brought to every place that I go. You see, protecting ourselves from pain insulates us from passion. When we hold on to those things that make us feel comfortable, when we protect ourselves from loss, what we end up doing is protecting ourselves from intimacy with Jesus. What those Jews in essence were doing is that they were holding on to the comfort of their past protecting themselves from the pain of change and in so doing, insulating themselves from passion for Jesus. You see, the most radical thing you can do for yourself is to put Jesus first in everything because we were born we were born to be close to him. We were born to be with him. And so as we press our hearts against him, we do radical things because we want to remain, as Paul did, with our heart pressed against the heart of the one who has saved us and who has called us. Social media will tell you that the most radical thing you can do for yourself is to Put yourself first in everything. The most radical thing you can do for yourself is put Jesus first in everything. 
Amen and amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are faithful. Lord, I thank you that there is no one like you. Lord God, we, we listen to that prophetic word that was spoken during worship. You're the creator of the heavens and earth. You stand alone. Holy Spirit, we honestly and truly want to know your resurrection life. With Paul, we stand and we ask that we would know you, the power of your resurrection. And Lord, we dare to ask for the fellowship of your sufferings. Holy Spirit, we want to know you. Lord Jesus, we want to know you. Father, we want to know you. We want to know you. We want to know you. I want to stay here for a moment. I want to give you a moment to to examine your heart for misplaced passions for comfortable passions and I want you to take a moment to look on the face of Jesus to look on his glory and to press your heart against his and say Lord I've chosen you in the past but I I re-choose you. I make the commitment with Paul to never pull my heart away from yours. Lord, I commit myself to you in the good times and the difficult times, Lord, because I see that you have a big picture in mind and I want to go to the place you want me to go to. I want to be a part of your big picture. I want to see the power of your kingdom manifested in the nations of the earth, in my nation, in my family, in my neighborhood. Where you are, just take a moment to do that, to press your heart against his. that our hearts have been disillusioned from time to time. Our hearts have been disillusioned from time to time. We expected one thing and another thing came and we were so tempted to close up our hearts and sometimes we did, Lord. Sometimes we got angry. Sometimes we, we thought you had disobeyed your promises that you had forsaken us, Lord. And we come now and we want to repent for that. Lord God, we see now that there is never a moment that you are away from us. That you fill all things. And that there is always resurrection in everything. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. 
Forgive us when we doubted your plan. Forgive us when we shook our fists at him and forgive us when we moaned and complained. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Come and pull our hearts close to yours, Lord. Hold us tightly to you. Hold us tightly to you. Lord, we want our lives to matter. We want the world to be different because we lived. Lord God, we want to follow you to the cross and through the cross. Lord God, we say yes to die with you and to live with you. We say yes to die with you and to live with you. Thank you, Lord. 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 I'm going to invite everyone to stand for a moment. some here that you may have been in church for your first time today or you may have been in church a lot but you know that you don't know Jesus Christ and this message has opened your eyes to say heck I didn't know that that's what it meant to follow Jesus I didn't know that But when you look at the majesty of who he is and, and his magnificent plan for the world, you want to be a part of that. You want to be a part of that. You want to turn away from all the old passions and you want to give Jesus your whole heart and make him your, your only passion, your main passion, your true passion. And if you are here and you want to do that, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer for with me. I'm going to invite all of us to pray together. Lord Jesus, I come to you and I surrender my life to you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would change me. Lord, I repent for my previous way of life and I turn to you. Lord, join your heart to mine. Save me. Be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Awesome. If you are here and you prayed that, that, that prayer, not that church, you prayed that prayer, you prayed it for the first time, or maybe, maybe it was the second time, but this time you really meant it. Or maybe it was the third or fourth time, but this time it really, it's, it's really your prayer. And if you did that and you, you want to be acknowledged, we would love to acknowledge you, and I would love to pray with you. So if you prayed that prayer, won't you just raise your hand so that we can acknowledge you and we can pray for you? Is there anyone here who prayed that prayer and meant it? Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone here? Awesome. 
Lord Jesus, we love you. We give our lives again to you. We, we proclaim you as King of the earth, King of the ages, the glorious one, the one we love, the one who has our lives in the palm of his hands, the one who is, is working all things for our good, who is, who is working to bring about such a glorious victory on this earth, and he's making us part of that incredible, incredible victory. Lord God, we thank you for that. We don't deserve it, but we're so grateful. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.